0: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross. On Tuesday, May 24th, the Full Circle Bookstore in Oklahoma City is welcoming New York Times reporter Jonathan Martin, author of the new book, This Will Not Pass, recounting the tumultuous 2020 election season, the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, and the aftermath. He'll be joined by OKC Mayor David Holt, and Jonathan Martin is here with us right now through Zoom video conference. Jonathan, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to get back to Oklahoma City and hopefully meet a bunch of folks there uh, on the 24th. Uh, Please do come out to to, uh, the bookstore and say hello.
0: It's going to be a blast to have you here. So uh, tell us about uh, This Will Not Pass.
1: Well, uh, my colleague Alex Burns and I wanted to do a comprehensive account of through the prism of both political parties in this country Mm -hmm. about the tumultuous events of the last two years in American history. And, you know, I think the original idea was we were going to do a sort of traditional campaign book, or at least that was sort of our our impulse. But as the campaign went on in 2020, it became pretty clear that we couldn't do one more campaign book, that the moment demanded something bigger and more serious and more comprehensive. Uh, Just think about, a once-in-a-century pandemic, uh, the, the murder of George Floyd and subsequent a uh, racial justice protest, the collapse for a time at least of the global economy, an extremely bitter presidential campaign, the sitting president getting COVID, the sitting president refusing to concede defeat, and then a riot at the U.S. Capitol and would be insurrection. So by the time January 7th, uh, 2021 came around, we we were uh, pretty certain that we wanted to do something bigger than, you know, a campaign book about, co- you know, competing advertising strategies and in Detroit versus Philadelphia was just not going to be sufficient <laughs> for the moment. But we also wanted to do something bigger than one more Trump book too. look There's a lot of fantastic books about the former president out there that really take you inside the Oval Office. But we want to do something different and and capture this period of political crisis. Yes, President Trump, but also what came after and President Biden and his struggles uh, in his first year as president to unite a fractured country and, uh, frankly, a divided party of his own. And we also wanted to get into Congress and sort of cover that branch of government. And then, frankly, we wanted to get beyond D.C. and cover governors and mayors, sort of capture state and local government, how they were handling this period uh, of tumult in American history, and so I think we've put together a, a, a fairly comprehensive account uh, of this period, and we're we're thrilled that it uh, it's going to debut at number three on the New York Times bestseller list this Sunday.
0: Yeah, um, it's, so, it's so yeah yeah it's an amazing read. I, I did to right. kind of care why why the title this will not pass.
1: Yeah, I, I think it can be read a lot of different ways, <laughs> uh, uh, different applications there, but I, I think our 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 point is this moment of extreme polarization of political tribalism, red versus blue, almost our two different uh, dueling realities of public life in America did not end on election day 2020 and we're still fighting these fights. If anything, it's sort of only metastasized and you know Trump obviously still remains a, a powerful force in his party could very easily be the Republican nominee again in 2024. And you know, for the third straight election cycle, sort of be the standard bearer for his party, that that's unprecedented. Um, and I think also just the sort of larger challenges that we face uh, in the sort of sense of um, frankly coming apart uh, has not abated yet either. And um, it's not healthy for the country. I know it's kind of a downer to say that, but I think it's a, a realistic reflection of, of where we are, uh, at this moment of sort of really, really tense, uh, division and conflict. Um, we've had some tough times in the history of this country and obviously uh, moments were, were graver than this. Uh, but just in terms of pure, uh, polarization sort of political differences, uh, this is a pretty bad spot, we're in.
0: I do want to touch on parts of your book did actually deal with Oklahoma, like in the yep. 2020 election season yep. with COVID-19. Uh, then President Trump had decided to return to the campaign trail and he decided to do it in Tulsa. Now you write in your book about how yep. the rally would run up against another popular celebration in the African-American community. What, what was going on?
1: So President Trump was eager to get back on the campaign trail, by June of 2020. Obviously, COVID hit the U.S. in March of that year. And so, you know, he, he is eager to resume in-person campaign. He does not want to sort of stay uh, and do a Rose Garden strategy. That was not something that was very appealing to Donald Trump, given his affection for rallies. And so his campaign is looking for a state and a city that's got a big enough venue, but also has lax enough regulations on large gatherings that they can even have a rally because this is June of twenty. This is like, you know, the early days of COVID still, and um, they settle on Tulsa not because Oklahoma is a swing state. They just needed a big venue uh, mm-hmm. indoors to have an event, and so it worked out. Now, what Trump and his campaign didn't take into account is that it was slated for the same day as Juneteenth, mm-hmm. which, of course, is uh, an important day in the, in the Black community, especially. A city like Tulsa, with a vibrant and sort of uh, rich uh, Black history, um, that day means a lot. Now, Donald Trump is not familiar with the Greenwood Massacre. He wasn't even familiar with Juneteenth, so it didn't really mean much to him. And we actually have him sort of like rolling his eyes when when he hears about it. But um, that was a that was a, a sort of scheduling challenge. Um, and we you know, we also have an account in there of, of the mayor of Tulsa, Mayor Bynum, telling an associate he's just hoping that they have that rally and they get out with no riot that yeah. day. If you think about this: this is not just during COVID. This is you know right during the heart of the racial justice protests following George Floyd's mm-hmm. murder, uh, which had just happened weeks before. So the country is just roiled by divisions at this point, and you know there's been been riots and there's been sort of looting and arson all over the country. And now Donald Trump is bringing his road show to Tulsa, so the mayor, the mayor was quite anxious to say the least.
0: And there were a number of factors that uh, kept the rally from really being a success. It kind of, as you called it, an embarrassing flop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think Trump expected his supporters to sort of not be that spooked by COVID. And I think a lot of them were apprehensive about COVID, at least in June of 2020, they were. And so I think it was hard for him to draw a huge crowd indoors at that moment. I mean, if you remember Herman Cain, who was at the event, which subsequently uh, and tragically uh, get COVID and pass away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you had this caper, which I've sort of (laughs) forgotten the history, but at the moment was was quite the story, this caper where a bunch of kids, I think, got on TikTok and social media and, like, flooded the RSVPs. Um, And so the Trump campaign high command thought they were going to have a massive crowd and you'd have an overflow crowd because they got these RSVPs that were bogus. Because they were free Um, tickets. Exactly. So Trump was furious because, you know, Trump cares about a few things more than having big crowds for his rallies. And obviously he had a lot of empty seats that night Tulsa.
0: Now, the climax of your story is, of course, in my mind, the January 6th riot at yeah. the Capitol. You talk about tensions being high even that morning as Democratic Colorado Congressman Jason Crow got into a heated exchange with Oklahoma representative Mark Wayne Mullen. Jonathan, do you know what the argument was about in the gym there?
1: Yeah. Look, they are workout buddies. I mean, Mullen, as mm-hmm. your listeners know, running for the Senate now is the mixed martial arts guy in really good shape. Jason Crow is an Army Ranger. So they're different parties, but they're kind of the same age, roughly same age, and they're both obviously sort of um, workout buffs. And so they had that in common. But I think in the morning of the 6th, going into that day, you know, even before the attack on the Capitol, the two parties were at odds because the Republicans and and the House and some in the Senate were attempting to, (laughs) to not ratify the Electoral College and were trying to throw out Biden's victory in effect. And so a guy like Jason Crow, who has this, you know, amiable kind of fellow jock, like relationship with Mark Wayne Mullen just can't understand why somebody that he gets along well enough with in the gym is willing to go along with that, mm-hmm. that craziness. Now you flash forward to a few hours later, mm-hmm. those two guys who had been in the gym arguing in the early morning hours were together, literally together on the floor of the house ready to confront anybody who breached those doors. And there's a famous picture, of course, of Mullen with the Capitol police officers sort of standing there ready for anybody who came through that, that, that door. Um, We also report in those hours that Jason Crow's wife was seeing us on TV and sort of told him, don't be a hero. Because she knew her her husband was sort of army ranger and was ready to do battle again with, with the folks who were, a ransacking in the Capitol. So it's a remarkable day on so many levels in American history. And, you know, you mentioned this, these two characters who, characters who frankly aren't that well-known. They're kind of rank and file house mm-hmm. members. Uh, you know, Mark Wayne Mullins, obviously better known in Oklahoma, but nationally uh, yeah. not too terribly well-known guys, but just how they bumped up into each other on that day, first in the gym that morning and then sort of at odds. And then later in the day, brought together in the heat of this extraordinary attack on the Capitol.
0: Yeah. And Crow had to tell Mullen. It's so
1: poignant. It's so poignant.
0: Crow had to tell Mullen, you have to get out of there because the Capitol Police cannot protect you and guard the doors.
1: That's right. It, because the house members were being evacuated from the floor crow's wife's telling him don't be a hero uh, over the phone and so he's ready to leave but there are a few members who are trying to stick around and protect the house chamber including mullen who's in that picture down right close to the doors mm-hmm. with the Capitol police officers with guns drawn and uh uh crow's trying telling his friend at this point who he was arguing with hours before come on man we got to go you know
0: One of the other scenes you retold in your book is involves Oklahoma Congressman Tom Cole, who was in his Capitol hideaway at the time of the attack. Tell us about that one.
1: So uh, Mr. Cole, um, a senior House Republican, um, if Republicans get back the majority this November, he'll be the Rules Committee chairman, pretty prominent post, has got one of the coveted hideaways in the Capitol. Now, Now, What that means is that every member of Congress has an office, Mm -hmm. but most of the offices are in the congressional office buildings, which are across the street on either side of the Capitol itself. A few members have hideaways though in the Capitol Mm -hmm. building itself in that white dome, and that's coveted real estate. And so Mr. Cole, by virtue of his seniority, has got one of those offices. It's a cozy little office, but, it's fantastic spot in the first floor of the Capitol. Uh, He hosts friends there quite a bit. He has a selection of cigars and bourbon Mm -hmm. um, as is his, his want. And so Cole and his chief of staff, Josh Grogas are in the suite uh, on January 6th, sort of um, watching on TV there. What's happening on the house floor because the house floor is literally just upstairs from that hideaway and they can, they can get up there, Uh, in a a moment's notice to vote. And they're seeing sort of the Capitol is now being invaded and they don't hear it on TV. They're they're starting to hear it in the hallway outside. And the invaders see Cole's name on the door. I don't think they know who Tom Cole is from a hole in the wall, Mm -hmm. but they just see the name of a congressman on the front door. And so they're banging on that hideaway door yelling, Cole, Cole, come out, come out, come out. And eventually, uh, Grog is the chief of staff. He's sort of a, a big, broad-shouldered fellow with a beard. Um, he eventually uh, leaves the Capitol. But he has to be careful leaving the Capitol because uh, he was worried that the Capitol police wouldn't believe he was one of the rioters. Yeah. Because he's kind of a big dude with, with a beard. And so, again, it's just like one more small vignette that sort of just captures the larger story mm-hmm. of this extraordinary day um and uh just how for a lot of members of congress they thought it was life or death i mean Mm -hmm. they really thought that they were in jeopardy and you know banging on a congressman's door screaming his name um it's pretty menacing and i think the larger point here is the day could have been a lot worse than it was it was pretty damn bad as is Mm -hmm. and it has really transformed the relationships of a lot of members in Congress and not for the better. I mean, I think there's still a lot of mistrust among Democrats toward the Republicans who tried to overturn the election results. Uh, they saw what happened that day and they haven't totally forgiven their colleagues. And so there's, it. it's just not a good atmosphere up there. And frankly, the air of kind of, men- of menace, of potential of uh, political violence has not totally faded either. And that's also why this is so sobering because for a lot of members of Congress, they still get these death threats via email or on their office phones all the time. These calls come into their 23 or 24 year old staffer sitting out there on the front desk taking these phone calls and getting death threats day in, day out. It's grim. Mm-hmm. And um, what's really sad is there's this belief that January 6th wasn't the culmination, but may have just been. One more, one more sort of sad milestone, uh, you know, before who knows what comes next in terms of more political violence, but may not be the last.
0: Right, you know, as we he- were heading into the midterm elections, former President Trump is still very popular among Republican voters, sure. uh, despite the the big lie of stolen election, losing the House and the Senate and the White House, and but the GOP is on the path to take back the House and yeah. maybe even the Senate. Why do you think this is?
1: Yeah, well, I, I should say. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm trying to sell a book here, and I'm sort of offering to offer br- a very grim diagnosis, but <laughs> it, it, it's reality. But it gives a uh, realization of why this is happening. Yeah, this is not this is not a Hollywood account. This is not yeah. this is not sort of you know happy ending uh, necessarily. We're, we're we're trying to sort of capture events as they happened happen here, and it's a uh, uh, it, it's a pretty sobering tale. But let's sort of shift years for a minute, uh, because half the book is about the Democratic Party and mm-hmm. about President Biden's difficulties governing in the first year of his presidency. And if you wanna know why Biden's numbers have fallen to where they are, this book offers a pretty clear explanation. Uh, We have a series of memos from Biden's chief pollster who beginning in April of 2021 is sounding the alarm. He's seeing his polling. It shows Biden facing real difficulties on issues like immigration and crime and yes, inflation. And he, you know, sends a series of memos to Biden's inner circle, but the Biden folks just didn't take it that seriously, or at least not seriously enough, and soon enough. And so I think Biden has been battered by COVID being resurgent, number one. Number two, by inflation, which is connected to uh, their response to COVID. And number three, I think this sort of specter of disorder whether it's the mm. spike in crime or whether it's the surge of illegal immigration at the border i just think you add up those three factors the sort of feeling of disorder covid won't go away and the inflation is so real and americans live with that every day when they you know go to the go to the gas station or the grocery store i think that's a pretty brutal combination for any president to handle, and I think that explains why why Biden's numbers have uh, have gone south. The country's just in kind of a sour mood, um, sick of COVID, uh, sort of ready to move on. But now you know, everything's more expensive. It just when you have an angry electorate, that's not good for the incumbent party. No? Right.
0: I mean, Trump is also real popular in Oklahoma. He carried all seventy-seven counties. Uh, yeah. So why promote your book here in this very red state?
1: Well, because the book is a comprehensive account of a period of political crisis, mm-hmm. and and it's not just about one party. It's right. about both political parties, and it's about the country. And so um, I think readers in Oklahoma City or Tulsa, or, by the way, we're going to be in Tulsa uh, later in the week at oh, Magic, City, Magic, Magic City, City Books, books mm-hmm. on the night of the 26th. Um, I I think people, look, whether it's Oklahoma or New York City or Seattle, Washington, I think people in this country are inundated with uh, opinion and arguments and hot takes from right and left and in between. And There's no lack of that, right? People see it in their Facebook feeds all day. They can get it on cable TV. What there's not a ton of is reporting. Old-fashioned shoe leather, deep reporting that's sourced at the highest levels of both political parties in America that sort of puts you in the room at these extraordinary moments in modern American history. And that's what this book does. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, this will not pass sort of Gets you to the highest levels inside the Capitol, inside the White House. We have audio recordings, we have memos, we have notes from meetings. The primary source material that capture this period of crisis. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a Trump-loving conservative or uh, AOC admirer on the left. I think the reporting here is going to interest you. If you are interested in American politics, it doesn't matter what your perspective is. Um, uh, you just want facts and information and we're delivering that here.
0: Which, of course, had gotten a hit. Uh, The journalism, The Fourth Estate, had gotten a bit of a hit, uh, especially during the Trump administration. Do you hope that that's what people take away from this book, that The Fourth Estate journalism is still strong in this country and important?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you raised that. Look, I think given the polarization in the country, frankly, given the polarization in the media now where there's just everybody sort of shifting to their 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 corners reporting is more valuable than ever right it's like being in the proverbial uh, you know ocean and you're and you're you know thirsting for water and surrounded by water that you can't drink we have no lack of information and stories and we're inundated with links and stuff all day and clickbait but there's not a lot of just reporting, and uh, that's what we bring to the table in this book, and that's why we're so excited to get to Oklahoma City and to um and talk about it. And uh, look, I think you know, um, look no further than Peggy Noonan, who writes for the Wall Street Journal opinion page, which mm-hmm. is no liberal, uh, no liberal uh, bulwark to say the least, and she has a column. Uh, in this weekend's Wall Street Journal, praising the book for its deep reporting and insights on both parties. So if you're somebody who's center or right of center and listening to the show and kind of wondering uh, about the book, uh, don't take, take my word for it. Just read that column from Peggy Noonan in the journal this weekend.
0: Fantastic. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you in Oklahoma in a couple of weeks.
1: I'm really looking forward to getting out there. It's May 24th at Full Circle Books with, with Mayor Holt. Hope you all will come out.
0: Fantastic. That was New York Times reporter Jonathan Martin talking about his new book, This Will Not Pass. Again, he will be joining Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt at Full Circle Book on books on Penn and Northwest Expressway Tuesday, May 24th. Will he answer questions after Mayor Holt moderates a discussion on the book and at Magic City Books on May 26th. For KOSU. I'm Michael Cross.